turn your Bibles with us to St. Mark. After I preach, and I want to, I want to quit in time enough to have a testimony or two, but after I preach, I want us to testify to what God's done. Some, there's been some miracles this week in some folks' lives, and I want to testify to it. Amen. Turn your Bibles with me, if you will, to Mark chapter 8, verse 22. Then he came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him, and they begged him to touch him. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. Then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. Didn't pray that time, but put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. Then he sent him away to his house saying, Neither go into the town nor tell anyone in the town. Father, add your blessings to the reading of your word. Speak to our hearts today and we'll praise you in Christ's name. Amen. If you're visiting today, this is not my usual attire. I have preached for 50 years, almost. I've pastored for 46 years. I began to preach before I became a pastor. You could count on my hands how many times I've not worn a jacket and a tie. I do hope God's anointing will rest upon me in spite of the way I'm dressed today. I mean, you know, it's not necessarily the way that you're dressed. Amen. This is one of my favorite uh, 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 messages that I've preached in this Mark series. I just love this message. If you were here last week, and many of you were here last week, one of these days, you see, people come to church, not everybody, but most people, a lot of people come to church about every third Sunday. One of these days, somebody's going to make a big mistake and everybody be here at the same time, and we're going to fill up this auditorium. But if you were here last week, uh, you, you know that we started on this message. I love the introduction so much. By the way, I want everyone to have a copy of this. If you don't have a copy, Brother Steve will make sure you get one. I want you to have a copy because I want you to look at the introduction especially. Lift your hand if you don't have one, and he will make sure that you get one. I liked this uh, introduction so much until I went down to the FedEx building, and I laminated three of them. I cut it out and laminated them. I just, I just think it is so important. And one of the reasons that I like today is because it takes us beyond the miracle. Bible.org tells us to do three things when it comes to understanding the miracles of God. Number one, it says to observe. Observation. Number two, interpretation. And number three, application. David Jeremiah put it this way, what it says, what it means, and what it means to you. Listen at it. What it says, what it means, and what it means to you. It is important that when we study, and and the reason that I, I like this so much, it's not just applicable to the miracles and just one text in the Bible. We can apply that, those, those principles to everything we study in the Bible. Observe 
what it says. In other words, study the events of the miracle. What, what all is going on with this miracle? Uh, the steps of understanding is to observe and study the events of the miracle. The context or the culture. Who it was written to. It Was it written to the Jews? Was it written to the Gentiles? What was the text before the, the, the miracle and the text after? And then the interpretation. What it says and then the interpretation, what it means. What does this miracle mean for us today? It is so easy for us to miss God's real blessings, whether it's the story of of the blind man or whether it's the story of the Syrophoenician woman or whoever it might be, it's easy for us to miss what God is saying if we don't understand the Scripture with a kingdom agenda. A kingdom agenda. Look at, look, look at all that's involved. Let me, let me just give you an illustration. And I don't want to take too long with this, but I love this story. You remember when Jesus was in the garden praying with his disciples? Well, while he was praying, they came to get him. The high priest and the soldiers came in the garden to get Jesus. Well, as soon as they came in, uh, the disciples, I think they had maybe two swords among them. There were 12 disciples. Three of them were close to him at one time uh, praying, but, but there were 12, or, I'm sorry, 11 disciples. And as soon as they came into the garden, one of the disciples said, you want us to fight? That's one translation. You want us to fight? And the other one, you want us to draw our sword? And before Jesus could answer them, Peter had drawn his sword and he was, he, he was trying to cut off the guy's head. Now, he wasn't a good swordsman because he missed his head and cut off his ear. Or either he was a good swordsman. I doubt he was because he was a fisherman. And Jesus just made him miss. Well, he cut off the servant of the high priest's ear. His name was Malchus. Jesus reaches down. And he picks up the man's ear or whatever he did to heal it. And boom, the bleeding stopped. The heel, the the ear was miraculously healed. In other words, put put his ear back on. Then he said something that was so revealing. He said, put up your sword. Think not. The New King James says, think not that I could pray the Father and he would send 12 legions of angels. Now, how many angels would be in one legion? That's 6,000. 12 from 6,000 is 72,000. There's a scripture in Isaiah that talked about an angel fighting men and killed in one night 185,000 people, men. If you say 72,000 times 185,000, wow. And he's saying, listen, 
There's more going on here than you think. In other words, presently, he could have filled up that garden with 72,000 angels. And we think we know what's going on in the world today. We don't, we don't have an idea hardly. We live so much, if we're not careful, and I find myself the same way, we live so much in the, the carnal realm, the natural realm, we don't realize what's going on in the world. And if we're not careful, when a miracle takes place, when something happens to us, we start sitting around, we start wondering, God, what are you doing? And the important thing, we need to observe the miracle, we need to interpret the miracle, and then we need to apply that to, to us. What does it mean for, for me? Because I can get so carried away with the miracle I forget there's a kingdom agenda. God is doing something bigger than the miracle. And in this story where Jesus heals this blind man, there's a lot going on. Much is going on. First of all, they bring, some folks bring this blind man to Jesus, and their request was they wanted Jesus to do it their way. Because he, they had seen him touch many people and they were whole. And so they brought this blind man to Jesus and they said, we want you to touch him. Well, let me tell you something. God don't always move the same way. And we've got it all figured out. God, you've got to, right here. You've got to do it this way or I'm not going to accept it. This way or I'm not going to believe it. God has many ways of moving in our lives. So Jesus took the man by the hand and he led him outside of the town. Now there there has been much calculation, much discussion, many commentaries, and many reasons why Jesus led him outside the town. I've got some of them listed. Let me go back to number one. I love number one. A blind man is brought by Jesus. Men arrive at Christ by many different processes. You know, Jesus went and found some people. Some people came and found Jesus. One man was born by four people that was let down through a roof. And this man was led by people. Which brought to it. it doesn't matter how you get to Jesus. Just get to him. Just get to him. Number two, it was a solitary place. Someone thought or said maybe it's to avoid publicity. I do know that Jesus performed miracles and he said, don't tell anybody. And he said that over and over and over again. One of the main reasons, because the Bible gives the answer, it says this man that was healed went out and published it and everybody knew about it and Jesus could do no more of his miracles. He had to go outside of the town because they they just came upon him so much. Maybe, Maybe that is one reason. But look at number two. The Lord takes him by the hand and isolates him from disturbing influences. We come into church, if we're not careful, we've got our mind on the blocks, we count the blocks on the wall, or we're looking at what brother and sister so-and-so's wearing, or we think about what went on last 
night or last week or what we've got to do this coming week or I hope the preacher will hurry up so I can be first in line at the cafeteria. Whatever, Jesus wants to take us away from influences. And he got this man alone with him. Nothing distracted. He took him away from everything that would hinder. Most of you know the Pharisees that were always gawking, always finding fault, always trying to criticize Jesus, whether he would heal on the Sabbath or whatever he did was wrong. They were finding fault with him. And as I said earlier, maybe to prevent the crowds. Our best from the Lord requires a consecration of the heart. In other words, establish, important, establish one-on-one relationship with Christ. How long has it been since we've cut off the television, turned off our cell phone and our text machine, text and whatever we do, when we turn off the radio, when we stop talking? Now, that's one hard thing for me to stop talking. I, I just talk too much, and I find myself, and I, I got a hunch. Whatever it takes, be one-on-one, and this is what he did with this blind man, one-on-one with Jesus. May I, I love this statement, number four under number two. May our affections be led out of town and centered in Christ. Somebody say hallelujah. God, get me away from this town. Get me away from here. And let me get along with Jesus Christ. Number three, the only progressed cure recorded in the New Testament. It's the only miracle that was performed in stages. The man first could see me in his trees, and second, he was totally made whole. Now, two questions. Why the isolation? Why did Jesus take him outside of the town? And number two, why a gradual healing? I, I don't know that one. I, 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 can, I can suggest something. First of all, Christ would not indulge their observation or curiosity. Listen to me and listen to me careful. Because what happened in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s and the 70s, Christ would not let happen here. Jesus Christ never sought to put the miracles on display for miracle's sake. And they were always asking him, hey, perform a miracle for us. He said, the only miracle you're going to see today, my friend, is and, and understand this, is the miracle of Jonah. That was three days in the belly of the whale, and he was talking about his own resurrection. And I could go into a long rigmarole about what happened in the 40s, the 50s, and the 60s. And it cut off a lot of the moving of the Spirit of God because men took all of that and bestowed it on themselves. Was this man himself the monument of their spiritual enlightenment? Maybe, and some, several believe that the healing in stages was to reveal the steps that the disciples would take spiritually. A gradual seeing, a gradual enlightenment, not gradual salvation. That is instantaneous. That's when we come to Christ and receive him. But more and more, the light shines upon us. Maybe and perhaps that might be 
the reason. Number three, his eyesight was totally restored. Christ will not leave his work until completed. Now, under number five, look at number seven. You'll see some of me coming out in number seven. Watch this. Perhaps in spite of what finest Dake says, God have mercy on my soul. I love that. You'd have to know finest Dake and, and all that stuff. Jesus touched the blind man the second time before he could see was to show the disciples that some healings would be gradual rather than instantaneous. Now that happens for, for a lot of us. I've seen, I've seen miracles. Most of you know, and I've told the story of my back problem and how it hurts so often for many years. And then 12 years ago, God instantly healed me in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And my brother instantly healed. And God may, and we're going to believe the Lord for an instant healing in Larry's back. But whatever, I'm going to trust God. I said, I'm going to trust God and believe the Lord. I don't know that that was the reason, but there was a reason why the gradual heat, the danger of impentance, impenitence rather, where the gospel is preached. Now, this is something that's important to me. What city, what town was Jesus in? It was Bethsaida. Bethsaida, Chorazin, Capernaum, Tiberias, those four cities set at the, at the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. Okay? That was where Jesus ministered. Look at what the Bible says in Matthew. This is a powerful scripture. There are so many truths and so many principles in this, in this scripture. I, it would take me, I don't know how long to... To, to go through, but look, look at Matthew chapter 11, verse 20 uh, through 24. This is woe to the impenitent uh, cities. Then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done. What? In which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you, had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. These were Gentile towns, Tyre, Sidon. And Jesus is saying, let me tell you something. If the miracles that's been, been performed in, in Bethsaida and Chorazin had been done in these towns, they would have repented a long time ago in sackcloth and ashes. But notice, go with me again. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And then verse 23, and you Capernaum, this is his hometown. He worked out of Capernaum. And you Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, and be, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom. Now he's comparing Capernaum to Sodom. But notice the comparison. It's, it doesn't stake of comparison. It would be, have remained until this day. 
But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom than in the day of judgment than for you. You know, when we as Christians somewhat think about the most evil towns or cities, it was Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, after that, everything else is downhill in some ways in our, in our, in our thoughts. And yet, Jesus Christ compares Capernaum and Sodom. And so let me tell you, Sodom, if they had heard what you heard and saw what you see, they would remain till the day. Fire and brimstone would not have come down on them. But they would still be, wow. So Bethsaida was a city that had been cursed. And God had walked away from it. So he took this man's hand and led him out of the city. And he prayed for him that he might be healed. And he was healed. When he was healed, Jesus looked at the man and he said, Do not go back into that town. I want to show you something. As Christian brings up, first of all, these cities. There's Bethsaida. No, it's not. That's where it was. Bethsaida was judged by God. It is no more. It is gone. Number two. That's Capernaum. Capernaum, I just read it, Matthew 11, was judged by God. They were, but they are no more. Capernaum is gone. Number three, Chorazin. It's gone. But Tiberias, same area, except a little bit southern. But Tiberias was not judged, and it is a thriving city today. You say, why were they sorely judged? Because of their unbelief, and because of their apathy, and because they rejected God. They had a great light. And they reject. Can you think of another place that has had a great light that has been exposed to the gospel? That there are 700 churches in this city alone, and there are over 314,000 churches in America, a church on every corner. Won't you look at something? Look at this. America will be judged, but America gone. You say, why do you say it's gone? You can look in Daniel. You can look in Ezekiel. You can look in Revelation. You can look in all the prophecies concerning the end time. And there's not one word about America. What happened to her? Why? I mean, to me, we're living in the last days. I love America. 
I think it's the greatest nation ever. But America is no longer the America that was founded. What was it? 1663 was it? What year? When did it become a nation? What? 1776. Boy, did I ever miss it. America is not the America it was in 1776. America is not the America it was when this old boy was born. America is not the America it was 50 years ago. You know, America began this decline. Decline. In the early 1900s. Hundreds. And after about 1950, well, 1960, really, here's what it did. And America is not mentioned in prophecy. Because America has allowed sin, ungodliness to take over. Did you know right now that the Denver Airport, the city council of Denver, Colorado, is going to vote this coming week to keep Chick-fil-A out because of their stand. Morally. Didn't Duke kick them out? Was it Duke? Duke did not kick them out. Thank you for correcting me. Maybe it was Carolina. I don't know. No, it was not Carolina. (laughs) Maybe it was stayed. I, no, it was not. I thought, I may be wrong. Well, the point I'm making, folks, look where we've come to. No longer is the Bible, the Ten Commandments, no longer is it allowed in the public arena. And sports, look what they've done to sports. You can't even pray before or after a game. Bless God, they just won one, though. Praise God. Hallelujah. One federal judge said, wait a minute, time out. You can't stop them from praying. Bless him, Lord. But America is filled with unbelief, with apathy, with backsliding, with immorality. We have elevated evil. We've elevated immorality. And we have tried I'm talking about this nation, the leaders of this nation. And I'm going to say what I said last week. I'm going to say it again. When the Supreme Court made a decision, when the Supreme Court made a decision to allow same-sex marriage, that was a bad decision for this nation. And then when they put the rainbow colors on the White House, that spit in the face of God. That's not their house, it's our house. And I mentioned about the rainbow. The rainbow was given as a promise unto God never to allow a flood to come. Now you can get mad at me. I'm not trying to make a political statement. I'm just preaching what I believe is the truth. If you don't believe this, you can call me up, talk to me later. I'll sit down and be glad to talk with you. I don't know where it's going to end, folks. I do know where it's going to end. America judged, America gone. And I'm, I'm going to hush. I'm, I'm, I'm not finished, just like I did last week. I'm going to give you uh, Greg Lowry, a 
pastor in California. I'm going to give you the three reasons that he says America. America is not mentioned, and, and most of you have heard this. Bear with me. America is not mentioned in prophecy in the end time. Number one, an atomic attack. Iran's not playing games, folks. Our folks are playing games and playing with words. Iran's not playing games. They have boldly, publicly, many times declared they're going to wipe Israel off the face of the map. And also America. Now, I hope that don't happen. I hope to God America's not devastated by an atomic attack. I don't think it'll be Russia or China. I think it'll be, if it happens, and hope it doesn't happen, it'll be some rogue nation. Number one. Number two. America, I showed you that decline. America has declined to such a state, in such a state, that socially, economically, spiritually, in every way, it has become a second, third, maybe even the tenth world power. It's no more. Number two. Number three, let me give you the other one before I go to number three. The other one I was suggested to, and I don't doubt this. Did you know that right now Texas is drawing out its gold, getting its gold from New York and carrying it to Texas? I hope I'm not, I don't mean to preach this to, to, to make anyone, I, I just want us to wake up, folks. We need to pray what Antoinette prayed. God stir us, set us on fire. Maybe there's so many states that seceded from the United States, it's no longer the United States. I don't know. But the, but the third reason that, that Pastor Laurie gave was this, that there is going to be a revival. Somebody say hallelujah. Woo! Glory. There is going to be a revival and that millions of Americans will be saved. And the rapture takes place and many Americans are gone. Therefore, it, it doesn't carry weight like it did. That's the kind of news I like to hear. And I do believe, I do believe America's going to experience a revival. I don't know what extent, to what extent, but I believe America is going to experience a revival. 9-11 happened. The church is filled up, many of them. It's, it's waned. It's I don't have to stand here this morning and tell you what all is happening in the world and all the sin and the ungodliness and, and, and what's legal now, what's not legal now. I want you to pray for Chick-fil-A. I, I just, and, and go, go get you a Chick-fil-A biscuit or, or sandwich. I think we should po- support those kind of people. They do something that, that, what, 99% of the companies won't do? They close on Sunday. My God. And they teach purity and right. What's the, what's the owner's name? What's their names? It's Truett. 
Kathy, pray for them. Believe God. We need to pray for people like that. We need to pray. There's a movie come out called The War Room. Anybody seen it? You seen The War Room? Anybody? Okay. We need to support those kind of movies. It's a great movie. It's a great movie. We need to see Chick, the Chick-fil-A's and movies like that. And we need to pray for them and, 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 and believe the Lord that God is, the word of God is going to go forth. Amen. But listen, this is, this is so important. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read these in one minute. Look at number four and number five. We must get hold of sinners by the hand if we mean to get hold of them by the heart. I could preach an hour on that one. Nothing our Lord did or left undone was without meaning. Number three, Christ will not be tied to one method. Number four, it should be to the patient according to his faith. It should be to the person according to their faith. He would show how spiritual light shines more and more to the perfect day. Christian progress does not consist of seeing new things. I love this one. Look at it. Christian progress does not consist of seeing new things, but in seeing the old things more clearly. The same Christ, the same cross, but what was said this morning, God set us on fire, afresh and anew in a relationship with the same Christ. God help us to see more clearly the cross of Jesus Christ. God stir us in Jesus' name. Father, we love you today. We love you today. God, this message stirs my heart, and I've only scratched the surface. Help me to realize, whether it's a kneel in a, in, a, in a rehab, whether it's a son or a daughter or a grandchild, whether it's the doctor coming and saying, hey, gives us bad news. Whatever might come our way, help us to see beyond that moment. Help us to look, dear God, into the face of, 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 and get a greater kingdom meaning. A greater kingdom meaning. God, help us to realize this morning that Jesus Christ, when he was tempted in the wilderness, could have turned that stone in the bread, but he did not. Because there was a greater kingdom principle. And Lord, when you don't move for us like like we think you ought to, help us, dear God, we'll trust you. And God, that's what it's all about. It's trust. No matter what comes our way, help us to be able to trust you. And Lord, if there's a family that's struggling, touch him. If there's a dad, dear God, that's he's discouraged because he's tried to to care the whole family, encourage him. God, for that mom that's tried to give support and be a helpmate and yet seemingly getting nowhere, God, give her grace. God, for that young man or young lady that lives a life and goes to school and maybe shunned or laughed at. God, for that young man or that young lady that the devil's taken everything in the kitchen sink and thrown it at him. And they feel like, Lord, can I go another day? Can I make it again? 
I fail, Lord. I've fallen. I sinned. God, let them know that you love them. And that your love, dear God, is so real. For that teenager, dear God, that uh, is struggling with all the emotions that goes on. And all the choices that they've got to make. And sometimes they feel like they're overwhelmed. And they don't know who to talk to. May they snuggle up to you at night. Maybe even with tears on their pillow. God, that they'll pray and say, Lord, would you be real in my life? For that one that's been sick for quite some time. And they wonder, Lord, have you taken a vacation? Where have you gone, God? And like the psalmist that prayed, God, have you forsaken me? Help them to know that you've not. Speak to them today. Make yourself real to every home, every family, every individual in this place today. In Jesus' name.